Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Yeah. 
The book of Exodus, chapter 28, verses 36 to 43. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a sinner's holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel hallow and all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on their forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread, you shall make the turban of fine linen, for Aaron's son shall make you tunics. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. This place of scripture is directly related to tithes and offerings that are found under an oath and are holy unto the Lord. And therefore, they are one of the leaders or the guides how we should bring and offer God tithes and offerings. According to the revelation from scripture, we are holy priesthood because of which we are called to bring ourselves in a certain form which must coincide with this rank. And the words to make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, we must understand that first, pure gold in scripture symbolizes the truth about redemption from the vain life passed along to us from our fathers. Pure gold, second, symbolizes truth regarding the ability to reign over ourselves or bridle our lips. Third, the turban itself covering the head of the priest symbolizes acknowledgement over oneself of the delegated authority of God in the face of the person presented by God. Fourth, the blue cord symbolizes the glory of God or the fact that we are called to be the glory of the Lord. And fifth, being tied a Tying the, the golden plate of pure gold to the turban represents the, a person's dependency on the delegated authority of God. The turban is a veil that is necessary to enter into the presence of God. To enter into the presence of God without this veil means to be killed by God. So that you shall not die, these words say. Take a look at how important it is the, tithe, the commandment of tithes, to look how important it is, it's written so that you shall not die. And those who somehow try to run away from this due to their covetousness, they don't even understand that they're killing themselves. The word redeemed means holy, returned back, purchased again, renewed in the rights to inheritance, proclaimed as a belonging or holy unto the Lord. So we are talking about us. So if I am not this kind of holy belonging to God, holiness belonging to God, I have nothing to prove that I am holy unto the Lord. Because each time we honor God in tithes and offerings, we affirm before Him that we are His belonging. And therefore, by separating our tithes, I want to repeat that we affirm that we are redeemed. 
Second, we honor the Lord and acknowledge His authority over us. Third, we express our love to Him. Fourth, we worship before Him. And fifth, we gain favor before God. Practically, God is going to favor toward His people when they offer Him tithes and offerings in that format that he himself has defined and each person who attributes what is holy unto the Lord to himself refuses to be holy unto the Lord and they trample on their redemption the church has great honor to offer tithes and offerings as a privilege not as something you do volunteer it's necessary when offering it's necessary to contain this state and this privilege in its initial form the religious world does not honor god in tithes and offerings because they are led not by the commandments of god noted in scripture but they are led by the fact that tithes and offerings are part of the Old Testament and the New Testament does not carry their significance and does not mention them at all. However, let me remind you that the New Testament says in unison, speaks in unison with the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And another important moment that due to covetousness is not considered. Specifically, that the commandment of tithes and offerings was never a product of the Old Testament. And therefore, to relate it to the Old Testament means to distort the truth of the Word of God and to clothe ourselves into the anger of God. This commandment existed long before the law of Moses. It was known and it was fulfilled by the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And due to its unchanging nature, it found its expression and it found its, its portion in the law of Moses. Service and honoring God with tithes and offerings is our prerogative, our holy privilege, and our highest portion. Multiplying material goods is a prerogative and responsibility of God, His privilege, and His sovereign portion. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind, for all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. So first, again, seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. So you don't need to look for it. This, is, this will be a part of yours when you look for the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven has all things as soon as a person gains the kingdom of heaven he is found in absolute rest and he feels absolute comfort full protection from any kind of enemy and from any kind of need do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom sell what you have and give alms provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old a treasure in the heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also thus when we list on our heavenly 
account tithes and offerings. I don't know how, but Scripture says that God contains a list of what we what we give Him to the very cent, detailed list, and He will distinguish those who are His, and He will thank them in eternity. They're going to have a great meaning. Right now, it has a great meaning, but in eternity, especially those who do not honor God according to His statutes of tithes and offerings. They deprive themselves of the ability, the opportunity to walk into the courts of God. They might be found in church, but the spiritual courts of God, the spiritual state of the temple of God, the body of Christ, they're not found there. It's possible to sit in the church, yet not be found in the spirit of this church, because there are found only those people who are holy unto the Lord and who affirm the fact that they are holy when they honor God in tithes and offerings, which were holy unto the Lord. God always separated something that was holy unto Him, and then, when a person became in the likeness of him, when he came to perfection, which he had prepared for him, then God said to him, and now, son or daughter, separate with me what is holy to the Lord. This is very important. And to divide it or separate it, we can do in spiritual things. So God is going to allow us to eat of the heavenly bread, the promises of God. And we today are witnesses of the fact that God has given us the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Which is such a, which are such riches that nothing in this world can compare. However rich people on this earth may be, many of them are not healthy. They're sick. They can't use their riches even due to their body that is decaying, that is that is old. They try to do everything with their money, everything possible, but yet they find themselves in their grave. They make great big monuments for themselves, but God has prepared for us a great body in which will be immortality. Is this, are these not riches? And this body can feed universally as spiritual food and material food. Whereas the bodies of people who do not have this promise, they can eat only the food that is perishable. Food on earth is perishable. Take a little bit, leave it, and then it begins to decay. But the Word of God dwells forever. The freshness remains in it forever. Never can something dwindle of it. Everything is fresh and new. We are going to honor God in tithes and offerings, affirming with this that we are holy unto the Lord. And let us sing together. Let us stand. This is our opportunity to demonstrate to the Lord our love, to represent his authority, to honor him, to rejoice in our heart for such a privilege, because not all have it. Sometimes people offer money and they want to receive something materially for it right away, but we want to receive the Lord, his presence, his glory. And therefore, let us sing together. 
I will remind you that each time the people of Israel had honored God in tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or in the temple of Solomon, they were called to, according to the words of Moses, which he had received as a revelation from the Lord, to raise their hands on their offerings before God and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same group, drinking from the same Root will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands, a symbol of your righteous act over your offerings, and pray along with me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give imperially. I did not give in sorrow. I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge or accept your authority. And according to your word, I ask you right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you, you may be seated. Все для тебя высшим разумом создано. Это вселенная и дом твой земля. Будущий рай, настоящее прошлое, все для тебя, все для тебя. Будущий рай, настоящее прошлое. Все для тебя, все для тебя. Эти поля, эти яркие звездочки, Солнечный луч и журчание ручья, Точки
Христос 
And so, if you have a Bible, you can open along with me a familiar place of scripture to us that contains the mystery of relationship between God and His chosen remnant. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Return to the ancient path of goodness. When we are referring to our return to the ancient path of goodness, called to lead us to rest, we are not referring to the law of Moses that discovered sin and gave power to sin. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, 1 Corinthians 15.56. In this case, we are referring to the ancient law that was given by God in the Garden of Eden long before the arrival of the law of Moses, in which people could receive justification through their faith in the redemptive sacrifice in the garments that Adam was clothed in, which we view as the seed of the woman, which is Christ. Here's what Apostle Paul said about this ancient law. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. 
Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. For is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. We establish the law. The opportunity to find the ancient path of goodness is the opportunity to enter into the kingdom of heaven through narrow gates. Scripture defines these narrow gates as the first fruits of teachings, or rather the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. To look at the foundation of our study of the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who, by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the contents of the order present in the teaching of Christ. In studying this place of scripture, we decided to use a more perfect and closer to the truth version of this translation, therefore sprinkling ourselves with the reigning teachings of Christ and having been clothed in the armor of light contained in the reign of this teaching, let us go on to perfection and build ourselves into the house of God, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment, four teachings with a authority over the spiritual dimensions of the earth, of the north, south, east, and west. This is the image of the four rivers flowing from Eden to irrigate the garden, the very place where they were called to develop a relationship, where they were called to develop a relationship, not overshadowed by sin between God and man. Each of the four teachings possesses in itself a triplicity of various functions that determine the unearthly order of the kingdom of heaven and determine in their totality the role of the twelve teachings of Christ who came in the flesh. The number twelve is an image and standard of twelve hours in the day, determining the order of the kingdom of heaven and the Twelve gates of heavenly Jerusalem contain the twelve foundations of its law. In a certain format, as far as God and the measure of our faith have allowed us, we have already examined the doctrine of baptism, expressed in baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire, and the doctrine of laying on of hands, expressed in the covenant of blood, salt, and rest. Therefore, let's turn to studying the doctrine of resurrection of the dead, which in Scripture is presented in the dimension of the western side of heavenly Jerusalem in a combination of three gates. The doctrine of resurrection of the dead. The doctrine of the resurrection is a dimension of the West that carries within itself the eternally existing life of God, which, first of all, introduces a person to the family of God or makes him God's belonging. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, because God also loves him, who is begotten of him. Second, the doctrine of resurrection of Christ resists second death in a person who has been born of God. There is also an anti-death, which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Third, the doctrine of resurrection of Christ nurtures a person into a perfect man, into the full measure of the statutes of Christ. In the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of resurrection contains in itself three levels of birth which in their union are defined by Scripture as being born of God. This is birth from water, birth from spirit, and birth to the throne. 
We can find this truth in a conversation between Christ and Nicodemus, a member of the centurion, one of the leaders of the Jews, who, until a certain time, was a secret disciple. Because out of fear of the Jews, he came to Jesus at night to learn from him. John 3, 1-5, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Furthermore, there he says, You are the teacher of Israel, you don't know this? He talked about how the teachers of Israel, they knew the teaching regarding redemption, because the teaching regarding redemption is the teaching about birth. When God redeemed a person, he returned him from darkness of uh, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And when he had redeemed Adam, clothed him in garments, Adam was born again. Before this, Adam was not a man who was born again. He was a carnal man. From the semantic meaning of this dialogue, it follows that birth from the water and the Spirit opens the door to entry into the kingdom of heaven. If there is no birth from water and birth to the Spirit, you can't be born to the throne. Which in practice means that only those born to the throne can enter the kingdom of heaven. Essentially, this passage of Scripture means that in order to be a king and a priest to God, you must be born of a king and a priest. Among the people of Israel, it was possible to become kings and priests only one way, to be born into a royal family or into the family of a priest. The dignity of a king and priest is an inheritance. It's impossible to earn it. One must be born in the family of kings which, having reached a certain age, could only be inherited by those people who came from the heritage of a king and priest. This is how the Apostle Peter testifies to this. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. They may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he means that God's chosen nation are those people who are born from kings, those people who are born from priests. The requirement to be born from water, spirit, and to the throne is a necessity, an unchanging condition to make you with God a covenant of blood, salt, and rest in the baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire. If this trinity was there, this trinity is needed here because we baptize people who are born. And these requirements in their logical completeness were called upon to build constantly new relationships of a new man with God, depending on the degree of dedication or on the level of his spiritual maturity in order to bring him to a complete likeness of the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. By virtue of which a man born of God from the family of opponents of God passed into the category of the family of God, called to represent the perfection of 
with his heavenly Father and the dignity of his light. We have mentioned on numerous occasions that in order to step into a covenant with God, it was necessary to be born from the seed of the word of truth. James chapter 1 verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In this kind of birth from the seed of the preached word of truth is defined by scripture as resurrection, as resurrection from the dead. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Ephesians 5.14 Given that the ancient doctrine of goodness by its nature is not dilapidated and there for forever new, we need to explore the sacrament contained in the process of the birth and emergence of the life of God in the spirit of man through the power of resurrection contained in the teachings of Christ. The doctrine of resurrection containing in itself the mystery of the three levels of the life of God is the seed of the kingdom of heaven reviving a person from the state of death in which the spirit was located. The acceptance in the heart of the seed of the word of the kingdom of heaven revives our spirit out of a state of eternal death and it makes him a partaker of the life of God, revealing for a person the opportunity to make a covenant with God in water baptism. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16, 16. And this birth opens the door to the next birth. Born from the Spirit, and the birth from the Spirit opens the next door, birth to the throne. The covenant that we make with God in water baptism is called the covenant of blood. And as we know, the covenant of blood water baptism is called to sanctify us and give God the opportunity to write our new name in the book of life, so that this name could serve before God as a seal of righteousness. And as we know, we baptize of someone who is, who is a newborn, a new man, just like in Israel. Children were circumcised on the eighth day and given a new name on the eighth day. And in this new name, a person is given a new fate from God and the subject of his calling expressed in the inheritance of Christ and God. In Scripture, the term resurrection relating to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead contains meaning, such as the life of God, the water of life, the spirit of life, the word of life in the seed of the kingdom of heaven, atonement, the revival, imperishability, renewal, the light of the life of God, the order of life of God, the hope of our heritage in God, and planting in the house of the Lord. God gives birth to us, he plants us in the house of the Lord. Act 28.22 says, For concerning the sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. With such words, the most famous Jews of Rome turned to Paul from the prison. Acts 24.14-15 and 20-21. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are, which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, 
that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Or else let those who are here themselves say, if they found anyone doing any while I stood before the council, and let us, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. With these words, Apostle Paul spoke in his speech to the ruler Felix. What did the doctrine of resurrection of the dead contain? That even the faithful Pharisees, who to some extent recognized the resurrection and even defended it before the Sadducees, who generally denied it. Why did then the Pharisees begin to resist Paul? Because they had acknowledged resurrection. The answer was that the Pharisees recognized the resurrection but did not have a specific teaching about it. They acknowledged that God will resurrect, but Paul preached resurrection in Christ Jesus, whom they, have whom they had crucified. And they said, yes, resurrection will be, but they didn't know, they, they knew that it is, that it will be, but they couldn't prove this to the Sadducees. But Christ had easily placed the Sadducees on the shelf and they liked what he said, there is the doctrine of resurrection of the dead. Acts 4, 1-3. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Pay attention here. They preach resurrection just not in Jesus. The doctrine of resurrection is an exposition of a powerful, unchanging, and consistent system containing a number of principles and laws subordinate to divine theocracy. This is a soaring eagle on the banner of the Western army of the Israeli people, consisting of three tribes led by Ephraim, son of Joseph. The eagle is a symbol and image of the renewal of life, triumphing over death. The fact is that in the nature of this royal birth, there is a phase of death that is defeated by resurrection. And there are very few who know about this while observing eagles, because you'll never see this in nature. You need to specifically wait for it, and scientists were able to uncover this mystery. David writes so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, Psalms 103, 5. Renewal is a necessary and fateful factor, the process of which is concluded in three degrees of birth, designed to act in a span of one human life. The loss of youth, spring and freshness, these messages of eternity injures us and poisons the joy of life. But God promised that through the resurrection of His Son, He will introduce into our nature the process of renewal of youth that is present in the nature of the eagle. How is the youth of an eagle renewed? By old age, it grows appears on the beak of the eagle here on its beak, which on the one hand begins to obscure the vision of the eagle and blocks its respiratory openings. And on the other hand, it begins to produce the process of aging and decay. It carries death within itself and controls the vital ability of cell renewal. From this, the eagle's vision is dulled. Breathing becomes difficult and his forces leave him. Then the eagle rises high above the rocks and having chosen one of the sharp edges rushes at it from a height and with amazing accuracy cuts off its growth. Having cut off the growth of death in this way, the eagle releases the vital function in itself from the control of death, and its youth is renewed, breathing in vigilant vision return. 
и возвращается обмен. Of course, on its own, a sharp edge of a rock is not life and does not carry this life. On the contrary, this sharp edge is death which destroys the eagle's death. The representative death of Jesus is precisely such a rock that tramples on our dead, and we gain the possibility of renewal when we, as an eagle, voluntarily immerse ourselves in his death, which separates us through three degrees of baptism from this natural growth of death inherited from Adam. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God did not just place this in eagle. He wanted to show us an image. How we are going to be renewed like an eagle. How we are called to be renewed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In another place, David writes, Psalm 92, verses 13 to 14, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. This means that they have the energy. They gain this energy when they are planted into the house of the Lord. Disciples of Jesus preached the resurrection and life in Jesus. It was this sermon that infuriated the color of the nation of Israel and the environment of the pagan world. Acts 17.32 And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. Death carries death, and life carries life. In order for the nature inherited from Adam to be eliminated, so that we do not be slaves to sin, we need the death of Jesus Christ. This is a sharp edge of death, but in order to be reborn and live the life of God, we need the life of Jesus hidden in his resurrection. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are um, reborn not through the death of Christ, but through the resurrection of Christ. In this case, the death of Jesus is a necessary condition for being clothed in the resurrection of Christ. Philippians 3.10-11 That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So according to the doctrine of resurrection, death does not give birth when we the death of Christ yet, but it kills, eliminates, and abolishes. Whereas the resurrection of Jesus Christ revives, renews, and carries within us the power of life of the highest order. This is the life of God himself in the face of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Given the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the resurrection carries in itself three degrees of birth, which the scriptures enclose in a single divine wording called birth from above or birth from God. And therefore, just like the divine trinity of baptisms, it is called to emphasize for us the death of Christ. In the same way, the three degrees of birth contained in birth from God are called to emphasize the life of Christ for us. Considering the doctrine of resurrection and the order contained in the functions of the three degrees of birth, we cannot ignore the literal resurrection of bodies and their change in the blink of an eye, since it is 
closely connected with death and birth. 1 Corinthians 15.23 But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. The word order in this case means not just a sequence, but a group of people belonging to the same army. If we were careful when studying the question of resurrection, then we could not avoid one important detail. Here, Apostle Paul uses the Greek word tagma, translated as order, which means a military unit or a group of people belonging to the same army. Resurrection, the Word of God classifies resurrection. There don't exist two, three resurrections. There is one resurrection only belonging to one group. There is another resurrection belonging to another group. Let's read about this. John 5, 28-29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Two orders, two resurrections. The doctrine of judge, the doctrine of judgment and the doctrine of condemnation. Apostle Paul, in this piece of scripture, considers an individual believer as a warrior when he says that as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall live, everyone in their own order. A warrior, freed from the ordinary life of everyday life, subordinate to strict army discipline or the military order of Tagma. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with affairs of this life. 2 Timothy 2.4 in the book of the Songs of Solomon, the church is presented as a formidable army consisting of disciplined regiments with banners. Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? Songs of Solomon 6.10 People who are in the doctrine of resurrection are the soldiers of resurrection which is called the first resurrection, which refers to such a form of primacy that can be withstood by nothing. So it's impossible to say the second or the third. It's the first one. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, for they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. The first resurrection, the word of God, first of all, relates Christ himself as bring. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. If we start the second resurrection, third resurrection, Christ resurrected, then the person after him, and so forth, there will be millions of resurrections. But here we talk about one resurrection in Adam and one resurrection in Christ. Just as in Adam all die, and there will resurrect the resurrection of condemnation, therefore they shouldn't be counted. This is one order. The firstborn of Christ, but each one in his order, Christ the first fruits afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. But the same group includes all resurrections that will occur in time, including the great white throne. We know that many were resurrected along with Christ. They saw that for 40 people, people saw that how these people who had previously died had appeared. 
Christ had to enter first, and therefore he resurrected first, and then they entered along with him, and they will be a part of this first part. And the future resurrection, when there is resurrection, when Christ will return for the bride, then those who are part of the category of the bride will be resurrected. Those who are not a part of the part of the category of the bride, who are saved but who have not, um, have not reached this level, they will not resurrect. Only the bride will resurrect. And those who remain and who are a part of the category, they will transform in the blink of an eye. Before they are transformed, first those ones will resurrect and they will come to us and they will say peace to you. And we're going to see them in the new bodies, just as it was during the times of Christ. And then, Apostle Paul says, and then we, left living along with them, will be resurrected on the clouds and we will be with the Lord forever. And then there will be one more resurrection. When Christ returns to the thousand-year kingdom and when it passes, and after this thousand years, the devil who was tied for a thousand years will be untied. People will go in an army towards Jerusalem, and then time will end. There will appear the great white throne, and God resurrects. Everyone and these, all who are resurrected, will stand before the white throne. Some are separated to the left, some to the right. And we see how many resurrections there are. All of them are part of the first resurrection. Because Christ is called firstborn, therefore, resurrection is called first. First is not a sequence, but it's, it's a name. So if you called your son the first one, first, not because the second one will be right after him first, and that's it. This would not be because there is a second one, but this is because it's his name. For Christ, the word firstborn or first is his name. It's one of his names. He is the firstborn, and he will be the firstborn in all things. Therefore, resurrection is called the resurrection of the firstborn. From the existing statement, it follows that the first resurrection or the first order of resurrection is the resurrection of the righteous, or the resurrection of justification, and the other is the resurrection of judgment. The resurrection of judgment is also the order that is reflected in the law of sowing and reaping. Hell and death are opposed to the order of the resurrection. Don't think that there is chaos there. In jail, there is no chaos either. Everyone sits their own cell. Just like in hell, there is an order that not Satan, there was not Satan who had established that it was God because Satan himself will be in turmoil there. And hell and death will be turned into the lake of fire and everyone will be in their own cell. That's like today, people who had thought um, life in prison, life in prison sentences, so will they, eternal life in prison. Like, let's not have people lie to themselves. This will never end. This will be eternal. Only into two armies, diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive, does the word of God divide people. And nowhere in the scriptures is it said about the second resurrection in the sense of consistency. Otherwise, we would have had a second Christ because he stands at the head of resurrection. And because God is one, there is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is one resurrection. Despite the fact that we have two texts in their 
uh, ordinal numerical value according to the scriptures, this is still one that presented to us in two actions. The first action is separate. It only separates us from perishable bodies so that we receive imperishable bodies. And the second action of death is the eternal action that separates us from God through unforgiven sin. Very many people live in their bodies that are the carriers of the second death, even today. They are carriers of the second death of this order, resurrection of condemnation. And there is a very small group of people who are the carriers of resurrection, the chosen remnants of people who understand this. People don't just end up there. In order to be born of God, it's necessary to collaborate with God in this direction. The words, just as everyone in Adam dies, so in Christ, everyone will come to life, each in their own order, means, when considering this order, we learn that spiritual growth and spiritual development are determined and possible by God only in time during life in the body, with a transition to eternity that is permission, with permission from our bodies, this process ends, because if it had continued in eternity, the Apostle Paul would not have the desire here in the body to strive for the goal and honor of the highest and so be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5.48 Proponents of traditional thinking convince themselves and others that only in eternity can they achieve perfection, but here in time while in the body it is impossible to achieve. But then they say, when we reach eternity, we will all be equally perfect. But the Word of God tells us the opposite, that not all in eternity will be perfect, not all will be equally close to the throne, and not all will have the same rewards. And consequently, not everyone will occupy the same position in eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 41-44 to There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown, it is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. This truth can also be revealed from the many parables of Christ about talents, about minas, and in the parable of the sower and others. Well, now, in the doctrine of resurrection, we turn directly to the truth, which contains the powers and body in the birth from water. At the twelve foundations of the walls of heavenly Jerusalem, the birth from the water is the seventh, and the seventh foundation was made of the chrysolite gem. Revelation 21, 14, and 20. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the seventh chrysolite. The word chrysolite comes from the ancient Greek word for golden stone. The color of chrysolite varies from yellow-green, sometimes almost emerald-green, to olive-green and dark chartreuse, with a chartreustic golden hue. In ancient times, chrysolite was often called the evening emerald, since at dusk and especially by candlelight, its green color is more noticeable. 
the unique faceted chrysolite was one of the regalia of the Russian crown. Today it is stored in the Diamond Fund of Russia and belongs to the seven historical stones. It has a rare olive green color and is exceptionally pure. The weight of the stone is 192.75 carats. In the past, it was enclosed in a beautiful gold frame with 30 diamonds. Chrysolite is found not only at the base of the wall of heaven in Jerusalem, but also in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, from which we can conclude that when God builds a relationship with a person through the powers contained in the birth from water, he addresses this person through Urim and Thummim with the voice of the Father, who for this reason represents the name of the Apostle Thomas. Why with the voice of the Father? Because God becomes our Father, when we are born again, born from water. At this time, we become his sons and daughters, and he becomes our father. Therefore, in this foundation, or in this stone, he will speak with us like our father, and not just as God or as a judge. He will speak to us as Heavenly Father. Because precisely at the moment of birth from God expressed in the stage of birth from water, a person becomes a son of God, and God at this very moment becomes his father. Matthew 10.2 Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. The seventh apostle, Thomas. Thomas is the Aramaic word Toma, the root of which is derived from the word palm or righteousness. The Greek name of this name means Didymus, which translates as twin. In scripture, the name Thomas is found eight times, of which three times as Thomas called the twin. It follows that quite possibly there was a well-known twin brother of his, and in a conversation in order to determine which apostles in question, he was often simply called the twin. However, whether Thomas had a twin or simply his very name meant twin, interest in his name remains valid. And before giving a definition and seeing the meaning inherent in the name of the apostles Thomas as a twin, the name which was determined by the nature of the seventh foundation in the wall of heaven in Jerusalem, I will give some information available in the scientific world regarding the nature of twins. And this had uh, brought me to surprise. I thought I knew some things, but it turns out I knew very little about twins. Twins are twins conceived in one egg. However, there are fraternal twins and there are identical twins. The phenomenon of the birth of twins always brought scientists not just to a loss, but led them into a stupor, both in the past and in the present. They could not understand and did not understand today how, from one sperm, or rather from one seed which fertilizes one egg, there are two equivalent and similar to each other like drops of water, embryos. How is this possible? Today, 
people, scientists can't understand this phenomenon. The fact is that in the case of twins, during fertilization in the egg, one embryo is formed at the beginning. But then, in a way, in comprehensible to science, it splits into two parts, and two embryos begin to develop in parallel. Twins are born very rarely in about 2% of all pregnancies. Out of 100. Of these, 30% are identical twins, the remaining 70% are non identical or fraternal. What does it depend on, and what is the difference between the development of one child and between twins? Nobody knows. Let us turn to the very beginning when fertilization occurs. The egg is fertilized with a single sperm, and then the fetus is formed. Over the next few days, the fertilized egg divides again and again to form a structure of hundreds of cells called a blastocyte. During the first week after fertilization, inside the blastocyte, the blastocyst is a mass of cells where from which the embryo is formed. The blastocyst continues the journey into the uterus, where it will invade the mucous membrane and eventually grow into a deep. Identical twins develop from a single fertilized egg, which is why they are called identical twins. As in the case of a single twin pregnancy, in this case, the egg is fertilized from one sperm. But unlike a single twin pregnancy, this fertilized egg will be divided into two separate embryos or into two identical twins. This significant event occurs during the first week after fertilization at various stages. The stage in which the egg is divided determines how twins are implanted into the uterine mucosa. In principle, the earlier the separation occurs, the more independently the embryos will develop in the uterus. There is a common misconception that the birth of identical twins is passed on to future generations through the genes of the mother. But in fact, science does not know the reasons for the development of identical twins. At this point, they say we can only state that this miracle happens again and again. Non-identical twins develop, or fraternal twins, develop from two fertilized eggs. They're not identical. And like identical twins, the birth of twins certainly depends on the genes of the mother. The fact is that during ovulation, sometimes the ovaries release two eggs instead of one, and sometimes three, four, and five. That's why there are triplets and quadruplets. Everything depends on how many eggs are uh, released during ovulation. And with a successful set of circumstances, both eggs are fertilized by two different sperm. That is why twins and uh, fraternal twins don't resemble each other. The special twin relationships of identical twins leave their mark on all their relationships. When one of the twins falls in love, the other never stands aside. If in an ordinary family, the groom or bride must go through showing, so they are going to advise with their families, their parents, their grandparents, and in a, tw a family of twins, their, their greatest critic is their twin partner. Their highest authority is their twin. For one another, they're the highest authority and there is no higher or greater authority for any of Sometimes he may not approve of the choice of a twin and this is fraught with conflicts between lovers and between twins. It's not uncommon for a twin to be jealous of his twin to a friend, girlfriend, 
theory that he will take his place and he will lose his significance Sometimes twins fall in love with the same person. In this case, the conflict cannot be avoided, but more often they come to the conclusion that in order to restore the previous relationship, it is best for both of them to give up their feelings. Throughout their lives, twins brought up together remain connected to each other. There is an opinion that there is a telepathic connection between them. Many twin couples claim to feel greedy, beating hearts, and even read each other's thoughts at a distance. This is not all. When studying the phenomenon of identical twins, scientists found that almost every person has their own astronomical twin. These are people who were born in the same year and on the same day at the same time and in the same place. In a big city, this is quite common. Indeed, if cosmic or unknown forces affect a person in his life in a certain way, the action of these forces can be demonstrated by comparing the events of the life of people born at the same time and in the same place. Similar studies have been done and the main conclusions are as follows. 100% of cases studied demonstrate the parallelism of the lives of astronauts Twins. They suffer from similar diseases at the same time, suffer from identical injuries of the same body parts at the same time, and although they were born from different mothers and fathers, but thanks to the fact that they were born at one and the same time at one and the same place, this places something on them. They tend to marry and have the same number of children to succeed to endure accidents and even die at the same time. And this cannot be attributed only to a strange coincidence. There are a significant number of historical facts confirming the existence of astronomical twins. Some can be used directly for the new story. The Prince and the Pauper. On June 4, 1738, two completely different boys were born in London, one of whom was Samuel Hemings, a commoner, and the other was King George III. Samuel became a blacksmith and opened an independent business on the same day that George ascended the throne on October 15, 1760. Samuel and George married on September 8, 1761. They were sick and had injuries at the same time. Every significant event in the life of one happened in the life of another, but with the corresponding changes determined by their social status. On January 29, 1820, King George died, and the blacksmith Samuel Hemings died the same day. They were born in different uh, families, different social statuses, statuses, but they had their fate was the same. There are people who who observe this and who look after these things, who study these things. Here is another example: George, Prince of Wales, was born at the same hour and in the same place with a boy who became a chimney sweeper. His parents who learned of such a coincidence, he was, they called him Prince George. The brilliant life of the Prince of Wales had nothing to do with the fate of a miserable chimney sweeper. 
However, on the same day, the Prince of Wales was admitted to the court and attorneys opened his business. Both were notable for squandering a love of alcohol and excessive interest in the fair sex and a passion for gambling. Passion for racing led to the fact that the chimney sweep, aka Prince George, acquired the best running donkey, and George kept the best running pony. On the day when Prince George was kicked by his favorite donkey, George was hit in the rib by a horse. Both left the mortal world on the same day. History also offers us facts related not only to the fate of kings and princes. On September 10, 1956, the California Federal Police recorded an accident on a highway near San Francisco. As a result of a head-on collision of two cars, both drivers were killed. When compiling the protocol, it was found that both were born in September 5, 1933, in Los Angeles. The following example. The last thing Anna managed to see in her life was thick greens. Again, they were talking about twins, uh, astronomical twins. She saw uh, thick greens in the windows of a banked plane having run into the trunks of taiga trees the airplane exploded. At the same minute, thousands of kilometers from the scene of the disaster in a small town in the workshop of a sewing factory right behind the cutting barrel bolt, Anna's 48-year-old twin sister, Vera, died of acute heart failure. What's interesting that she only managed to whisper to her friend who rushed to the aid. She, she was saying, how scary, I'm falling. We're going to crash. And this is only one of a thousand cases accumulated by science and evidence of the existence of mysterious bonds between twins that persist throughout their lives. Striking cases were described in the American English press. Ohio-born twin brothers in infancy were adopted by different families and only met after nearly 40 years. And they were surprised to find that both were called James. For their adoptive parents, they didn't agree to call both boys James. How did that happen? Both were lawyers. At their leisure, they were both fond of draw and loved carpentry. Each of the brothers married a woman named Linda, and each of them had a son in their marriage whose name was ja James Allen. In each of the two families, there was a son, uh, there was a dog named Toy. They didn't see each other for 49 years. How could one explain these coincidences bordering even a, at a first approximation on the refutation of probable, probability theory? Researchers dealing with the twin problem have long drawn attention to the great similarity between identical twins, especially those living together. This is the twins themselves say they report that they often pronounce the same phrase at the same time they see the same dreams in school essays they state the same thoughts express them with the same phrases and make the same mistakes make friends with the same people fall in love with the same girls or boys if one of the twins becomes ill with diabetes then the other soon falls ill and if with appendicitis they have to undergo surgery almost on the same day. Twins usually have common hobbies and same talents. Joanne Sebastian Bach's father 
Joanne Ambrosius and his twin brother, Joanne Christopher, were very similar to each other. Their speech way of thinking was all the same. In music, they too could not be distinguished. They played the same way, equally developed the theme. If one was sick, the other was sick. Everyone probably experiences some special feeling of delight, admiration, joy, as if they had received a unexpected gift, having met two absolutely similar people somewhere. There is some charming secret in twins. They inspire others with curiosity and reverence. However, this was not always the case. Our ancient ancestors feared the twins, saw in them something unnatural, a threat, and they tried to get rid of them as soon as possible. Many primitive people had a special ritual immediately after the birth of two or more babies. They carried them in jugs to a swamp or forest and left them to be eaten by wild animals. Once the burial was found in 1897, 300 pots were the remains of twins. In other tribes, it was believed that only one of the twins was superfluous. Since a man can conceive only one child, the second clearly belongs to the evil spirit. Which one? To find out the children were subjected to severe tests. They were hung upside down for a day, bathed in cold water, and were not fed. The one who could not stand the torment and was the wrong child. In Japan, they killed not only the children, but also the woman who bore the twins. In the inquisitorial Spain, firmly opposed to all the devilish machinations, both the woman and her double offspring were burned until the 16th century. Of course, it was cruel. But already in, in, in antiquity, people felt that their pair of twins was something special, inaccessible to the understanding of ordinary people. Indeed, not only their birth, but also their joy existence is an incomprehensible and still not comprehended mystery. Now let's turn to the mystery hidden in the twins and the perspective of Scripture. After all, pundits did their research outside the biblical context and independently of it. Namely, there lies the clue and answer to the secret contained in the appointment of twins. After all, God never does anything without a specific purpose and without a specific reason. When the first woman created by God, who became the mother of all women, became pregnant and then was allowed to give birth, then the result of these births was twins. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Pay attention here. She conceived one time, but gave birth to two different children. Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. But the most remarkable thing is that two twins meet in the genealogy of Christ. These are Esau and Jacob, born of Rebekah, as well as twins, Perez and Zerah, born of Tamar, daughter-in-law of Judah. They both, these two pairs of twins, were a part of the genealogy of Christ. Now it came to pass this, at the time for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread and rebound it on his hand, saying, This one came out first, and it happened as he drew back his hand, and his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, How did you break through? The breach be upon you, therefore his name was called Press. 
Afterward, his brother came out who had scarlet thread on his head. His name was called Zerah. Perez means breach or terminating obstruction, and Zerah means the Lord sanctified. The question arises, what does God want to show in the designation of the twin phenomenon? When one, from one seed, two identical personalities arise, similar to each other, like two drops of water. The answer to this question is in the oaths of God expressed or addressed to Abraham after he laid his son Isaac on the altar, being sure that God will raise him up. So the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiply and will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as a stand, as a sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Genesis chapter 22 verses 15 through 18. Paul, commenting on the meaning of this oath, says that from one seed there can be not only two twins, but also many twins from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Galatians 3.16 Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say in two seeds as a many, but as a one into your seed who is Christ. Thus a person who is born of God in the format of three births from water, spirit, and to the throne is Christ's twin, originating from one seed, which is called Christ. So when Christ was born, God had made it so that in this seed will be his twins. It will be, it'll be one cell, one seed. Twins will be many. There will be a multitude of them. Yes, someone was born first, someone was born second, third, but they all will be alike one another, like two drops of water. They will be twins. They will look like one another. By virtue which, the name of the Apostle Thomas called the twin of the seventh foundation of the wall of heaven and Jerusalem means the twin descending from the seed of the woman, which is called Christ. Therefore, we need to investigate in which cases this name, in its functions expressed in the authority to represent the image of Christ, is found in Scripture, because specifically the representation of Christ itself is determined by authority from birth from water. And of course, in the format of this sermon, it is impossible to reveal all the powers of relationship with God that are possible to call to flow only in the format of birth from water, because the sphere in which we are called to represent the image of Christ is the sphere of heaven, earth, and hell. We are called to represent Christ both in the stage of birth from the spirit and the stage of birth to the throne, but the root system of these powers is in birth from water. Given that it is possible to present the image of Christ in heaven, on earth, and in the underworld, only by the power of two great luminaries or the power of two great witnesses who stand in our hearts before God of the whole earth in the face of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. In our hearts, then the first power contained in the name Thomas as a twin, representing the image of the Son of God in a person, is called to make us holy and unblemished in love before God just as Christ had been. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4-7, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, do you see, before the creation, the foundation of the world, in one womb, in one cell, in one seed, 
there appeared many embryos who looked like Christ. This is how God was interesting. How come he, that's why he implemented these twins on earth. Well, that's why scientists are led to a stupor, but don't understand because this mystery relates to God and his children. He chose us and him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. Jesus 1, 4 7. Considering that one seed of any tree bearing fruit contains a whole garden consisting of many trees, it follows that the remnant chosen by God, which is his heritage, before the creation of the world was in the seed of the woman, which was passed on to those born of God and thus became the heritage of God. Take even just an apple, it has a seed. Take this one seed, plant it, there will be one apple that will have many seeds. And from then will occur many apples and many seeds, and everything comes from one seed. And one seed was placed where built gardens. And if we give it the opportunity, this seed will cover the whole earth. Of course, for this, certain conditions are necessary. Second, the power contained in the name Thomas as a twin representing the image of the Son of God in a person is expressed in the authority to not be found in the state of sin. First John 3, 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. The phrase does not sin and cannot sin is a state that defines the spiritual essence of a person in whom dwells the seed of the Heavenly Father in the face of Jesus Christ. Before his birth from God, man was in a state of sin, being dead to God and his spirit, and therefore man sinned because he was a sinner by fate. When a person was born of God, he came to life in his spirit for God. And his status before God changed. The natural state of his spirit regenerated from God was a state of righteousness due to the seed of righteousness abiding in his new nature. And if before being born again the human body was the bearer of a state of sin in the face of the old man decaying in his lust, after birth the human body became the carrier of two states in the face of the old man and the face of the new man. Therefore, when we are talking about how one was born, Born of God cannot sin. We are referring to the new man in Christ Jesus and not the old man. Both live in one body. And they live in and create such a battle in there that sometimes it's difficult for us to sleep and we don't know what to do. In other words, a person may never sin, but nonetheless always be in a state of sin. Conversely, he can sin a lot, but be in a state of righteousness. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Pay attention here. The righteous may fall seven times. Seven means fullness. He might fall many times. A person falls, but he falls, remaining righteous. His nature, which he falls due to his nature, which he is warring against. 
He falls and he thinks to himself, do I earn righteousness? Well, no, I can't earn it. I already have it. I've received it as a gift. And then God comes out to me. James 3, 2, for we all stumble in many things. James includes himself there, saying, we. Anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, all able also to bridle the whole body. Here he's talking about righteous people, who according to their state cannot sin. They do not sin in their new man. First John 2, 1-2 My little children, these things are right to you, so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Our new man, born of God, lives in Christ. This is his natural state. He can sin only in one case, not as a slave, but as a free man. Whenever a person sins like a slave to sin, he has the opportunity to repent. But when he sins as free from sin, he will become like the devil and his angels. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. At this I would like to conclude because our time has come to an end. We will bend our knees, bow our heads, and we will thank God that he has given us the opportunity to hear the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. And when we accept this seed, and if we, as we will further say, if we give this seed the opportunity, this seed will grow into fruit. Everything that God gives us, He gives it to us in the format of a seed. He never gives it in the format of a fruit. He gives it in a seed, and we are responsible for the seed which we have received. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name that you have made us twins to your Son, Jesus Christ, that you have given birth to us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you have given birth to us. May your wisdom be blessed and your truth be blessed. May it enter into the heart of every chosen remnant to whom, whom we have predestined to be the likeness of your Son, to be your twin. We thank you for this revelation and may your mercy be blessed in your twins. Glory to God and the Lamb forevermore. You had strived to create yourself this kind of children, this kind of heritage that could be in the likeness of you and that could act specifically like you would behave in certain circumstances. You had demonstrated this in your son, Jesus Christ, having given him a body. And now you, for 2,000 years now, bring these twins creating, building the bride for your son. May your bride be blessed during these last days when the time is drawing to an end. Soon there will be absolute night. But blessed are you and blessed is your mercy and your twins. They will be an unearthly light that's going to bring to fear and horror those surrounding them. Just like you brought to fear those people walking on the earth, they came to fear from healing. And today when we see those who jump and prance from healing, when you had healed, people came to horror. When you did miracles, people came to horror. Because there, 
was manifested your authority as the authority of God, the creator of heaven and earth. I thank you that you have become our Father. I thank you that we can turn to you, not as to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but to our Heavenly Father. May your sons and daughters be taught to communicate with you through Christ Jesus because it is only through Jesus that we could be united to the heritage of Abraham. I thank you for this great seed. I thank you for the mystery that has been covered that no one can penetrate, that the angels desire to penetrate, seeing in them this great beauty. It is then when you had allowed Abraham to see in the seed of Isaac, the city whose maker and builder is God, he had rejoiced. He had finally found that which he had looked for his whole life. May your mercy be blessed for your children so that they can see in the seed, they can see your twins, that they themselves can become these twins. May the works of devil be destroyed in the life of your twins, in the life of your remnants, who have your likeness in your image, who strive. Let those who are falling, let them rise again and again. Allow us to fight and not get up. Allow us to not agree devil's voices that are going to say that we are not created for this. Yes, we are created to trample on every darkness, to trample on your... We are created to be your twins. May the Lord be blessed in his seed, in Jesus Christ. And may they be blessed in his seed. From every nation, tongue, and tribe in Christ, we thank you, bow down before you, Almighty God, Holy Spirit, Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hands of the Lord. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, together, let's claim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his presence and his glory with exceeding joy, to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.